Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you in song. We ask that you be with us as we look at the word and, and see what you would have us to see from the, that in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, for the month of December, I decided that I'm going to kind of slip away from Colossians, and we're going to go into the major characters of the Christmas season, the birth of Jesus. Uh, as you all know, and I've mentioned before, Jesus most likely was not born in the month of December. Uh, we can show you some facts today about when he was probably born in. And... Uh, but, you know, it doesn't cheapen this season in any way, shape, or form to celebrate his birth in this month. Uh, there, I've met people that get very upset. You know, well, how can you, ex you know, be celebrating Jesus' birthday in December? He wasn't born in December. Well, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm celebrating his birth, not <laughs> the fact that he was born more than saying, well, this is his birthday because I know it's not his birthday. So we're going to look at this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And starting at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Ab Abia, and his wife was the daughter of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in, in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no children because uh, that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense where he went into the temple of the Lord. And there the whole congregation of people were outside the, at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and shall rejoice at his birth. And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers of the to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a prophet, a people prepared for Israel. And Zacharias said unto him, Wherefore shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto you and you, and to show you glad tidings. And behold, you shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because you believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them, and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministry, one page, not two, <laughs> ministrations were accomplished, he departed to his own home, and after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and, and hid herself six, uh, five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in these days, wherein he looked upon me to take away the reproach among men. 
So we're going to look at this uh, story about the birth of, of John the Baptist, or the con conception of John the Baptist more than his birth. And it starts out with the introduction of the characters, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And it starts out that it says that Zacharias was of the course of Abbei, and most of you probably have no clue what that means. <laughs> so if you go back into 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 10, you'll see this name of Abia listed. Back in Solomon's day, there were so many priests that they decided that they didn't need all the priests at the temple all the time. Okay, so what they did is they divided the priest up into 24 different groups. And they would, they would work for two weeks, be gone for six months, <laughs> come back and work for two weeks, and then be gone for six months, and this was their process. So, so the priest in a period of one year would work four weeks. <laughs> you know, how would you like that kind of a job? <laughs> work, work four weeks a year. <laughs> Uh, now, they had things to do when they were back home, obviously. They would go back home, and they were the teachers and the leaders in their towns. But they would go to the temple four weeks out of the year. We know that Abbei was in the eighth course of, of, prof, of uh, priests. So we now know a lot about him. And I did some research to look up when back in the year 3 BC, which is most likely when Jesus was born, we know for a fact that he was born between 5 BC and 3 BC. And we've done, done messages on that to uh, tell you because we've looked at the different kings and when they ruled and, and who, and uh, Caesars and everything. So Jesus was not born in AD. He was born before Christ. <laughs> I have to say that just because it's fun. Jesus, Jesus Christ, who time split, splits time, was born before <laughs> before he split time, due, due to an error in calculation of the, of the dates. Um, I mean, we don't know exactly when, but you know, looking at the time that he was born, the eighth course of prophets, of, of priests, not prophets, was serving in March and September. So we can now pick, find out when closer time when Jesus was born because Elizabeth gets pregnant sometime really quick after that because he can't speak. <laughs> and most people feel that when he went back home, she got pregnant right away. And he kind of looked at this, you know. He, he, even his answer to the, uh, to the angel was, you know, hey, I'm really old, and Elizabeth is, didn't use the word old, just well-stricken in age. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he was a good husband. He knew not to call his wife old. <laughs> so... But he goes, you know, she's well stricken in age too, and basically is saying, you know, hey, she's beyond beyond childbirth almost. You know, she's right, right there. So, you know, he's telling the angel, you know, what's going on. So he probably had this, and Jesus was conceived in the sixth month of Elizabeth's um, time, because that's what it says later on when we get to Mary. We'll see that she visited Elizabeth on her sixth month. So. You look at this and you say, okay, so John the Baptist was born sometime on, depending on which of the two courses he was in, either in March, uh, excuse me, uh, December, or, where's my note here, or June. <laughs> and Jesus would have been born three months later, either 
uh, December or June, and Jesus would have been March or, or uh, April. So we now know that we got a time frame for Jesus being born. So, but again, is it really important? Not really. Not really, as long as we're focusing on Jesus. Now, the problem that we have in our world today is not many people focus on Jesus during this, this time of year. You know, they focus on their Christmas trees and their decorations and their gifts and all the other stuff that goes on, and they're not really focused on Jesus anymore. And it's really tough for us as Christians to make sure our families focus on Jesus during this period of time. Because if it's, if it's truly going to be about Jesus, let's make it about Jesus. Let's make it about the birth of the Savior of this world and not all the other things that go on <laughs> in this. So as we look at, look at Zacharias, he is in the temple, and it says it was his turn to go inside and burn incense. If you re remember anything about the tabernacle, when they started the tabernacle, you've got the outer court where the sacrifices are made, and you would offer your sacrifices there. They'd be skinned and bled, and they would be put on the altar. And as close as anybody could get to the, tem to the tabernacle or the temple on a day-to-day -day basis was the outer court. The priest would go into the holy place twice a day. And what they would do in the holy place is they would put the oil on the altar of incense. And the incense represent the prayer of the saints going up to God. And they would make sure that that was stayed lit and stayed oiled. And John, either in the morning or the evening, it doesn't really tell us which, got the privilege of going in. Now, many of these pr priests may never, ever in their entire time of service get to go inside the holy place because there were so many of them. And they would just put all their names in a hat, draw it out, and this is who got to go in that day, figuring that God guided the, hat, <laughs> guided, guided the lot and would have the righteous man go in. Most of them spent their entire time as a priest outside killing animals and skinning animals. <laughs> you know, that was their job. <laughs> Kill the animal, skin the animal, put it up on the altar and pray for the people. That was their whole job for most of them and most of them never got the opportunity to go in to the holy place. The other things in the holy place are the, are the menorah with the seven seven bowls representing the seven spirits of God that Isaiah tells us about, and the table of showbread, which they would change out at the end of every week. They'd put new bread on there, and they'd sprinkle the oil and the spices on it, and then the, the bread would go back to the priest, and they would get to eat the bread. And then you had the Holy of Holies. That was where the Ark of the Covenant sat, and the mercy seat covered the Ark of the Covenant. And as we've talked many times with the study group, you know, the three items in the Ark of the Covenant are a pot of manna, a rod that budded for Aaron to prove that he was the, the leader, and the original Ten Commandments. And where the Ark of the Covenant is today, nobody knows. It's been lost. And it, it was lost in the days of Solomon's temple's destruction. It has not been found ever since. When Jesus was alive, there was no Ark of the Covenant or mercy seat that sat in the tabernacle, they had something in there to sprinkle the blood on, but it did not have that particular item in it. And once a year, the high priest would get to go into the Holy of Holies with the blood offering for the sin atonement, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, 
and hoped that he was that he had confessed all of his sins because otherwise he would be struck dead. And they would and they would had a rope tied to him that if he was struck dead, he stopped moving, they would pull him out. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many times that happened in history. It's been I've read someplace that nine times, but the guy would not give any sources for his information, and I've not been able to find out any other sources. So it was a going into the temple period was a it was the ultimate of their career, but it was a nerve-wracking thing to do because you were going into the presence of God to do things that not very many people got to do. So we have Zechariah getting the honor of going in to offer a sacrifice. Or to, to excuse me, not sacrifice, to you know, put the oil on the altar of incense. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's somebody in the room with him. Now it says that he was terrified. <laughs> I think I would be a little more than terrified. <laughs> you know, it's pretty amazing that he didn't faint. <laughs> because you're in there, you're supposed to be in there alone. Nobody else is in there, not even another priest is supposed to be in there. And all of a sudden you, you look over to the right side of the altar that he's getting ready to put the, the oil of incense on and there's something there. In this case, an angel. Now, who knows what the angel looked like as far as, as it, obviously it wasn't so significant that he you know, fainted because oftentimes when you read the Bible, what's the first thing that people did when they were in the presence of an angel? Oh. Fell flat on their face. <laughs> you know, whether they fainted or were just overwhelmed by the righteousness of God or whatever it was, they would fall flat on their face. And Zacharias didn't do this apparently. Didn't, at least he didn't say that. You know, so, but he's very afraid, as anybody would be. I, I'm supposed to be in this room all by myself, and here is somebody with me. They didn't come through the door with me. You know, who, who is this? Now, it says that he was a righteous man and blameless, he and his wife both, which means that they were confessed up, they'd offered their sacrifices, they were righteous people. So in essence, he wasn't over, overwhelmed in the presence of God. It was just something that was, this is different. This is a different thing that he's looking at. You know, I kind of just want to really set up our stage. There shouldn't be anybody in this room, so this is something that's going to shock him. And I can almost picture him saying, well, who are you? You know, who is this that's in this room unless the presence of the angel really overwhelmed him? Because this is a huge deal. Or he knows that it's an angel. You know, it's a possibility he knew that it was an angel. And I don't know, you know, Paul tells us, you know, treat strangers carefully because you may entertain a stranger, un an angel unaware. So I guess there's ways that you could be around an angel and not know it. And it doesn't tell us clearly what he, what he thought he saw, especially at first. Because he ends up having a conversation with this guy. <laughs> you know, he ends up with a conversation with this being who's inside a room that he's not supposed to be. Now, I would think that he would kind of go cha be challenging him, like, who are you? What are you doing in here? Uh, nobody's supposed to be in here. And yet, that's not what he does. Uh, and then it says, the angel says, fear not, Zacharias. Your prayer has been heard, and Elizabeth shall bear a child. And by the way, Zacharias is going to be a son which is really what he wanted. They really wanted a son. You know, and so he's standing in front of somebody he doesn't know who knows his name. Now, 
This is, greetings from the, from the angels always seem to be this way. They know your name. And if you've ever been around somebody that you don't know and they know your name, it kind of makes you uneasy. At least it does me. If somebody goes, they know your name and they're acting like they know who you are and everything about you. And this angel says, your prayer has been answered. Elizabeth shall conceive. It's kind of an amazing thing. Wouldn't you love to know that your prayer has been answered by an angel coming and telling you that your prayer has been answered? How many of us really say, at least say we want that? You know, God, just let me know verbally that my answer, that my prayer has been answered. Yes, no, I really don't care. Just let me know, <laughs> let me know so I can know whether to stop praying or not. And sometimes it's really difficult to know when to stop praying for something. Because you just pray and God's, there's verses that say, keep praying. And there's times when you go, God, when should I stop praying? And it really depends on what you're praying for. If you're praying for somebody's salvation, don't stop praying until they get saved. And I've used my great-grandmother as an example. She prayed for my dad to get saved for, for most of his 32 years of life until he got saved. And so she prayed for a long time. She had her church praying for a long time. If you're praying for somebody's salvation, don't stop. If you're praying for somebody's healing, may or may not stop because God will tell you when to, when to stop praying for that. Pray until he clearly tells you to stop, though. If you're looking for directions, keep praying until it's too late for the directions to come out. Yeah. And we've talked, I've talked about this several times. You know, How many of us pray for God to direct our paths? You know, how much do we do every day but we don't even bring God in the middle of our decision-making? You know, God, uh, I'm going to read my Bible this morning. I'll see you later. You know, and God says, well, I've got some plans for you. Well, God, I've got some plans, too. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. And I'm going to go here. But then I'm going to come home, and I'm going to have dinner. And then I'm going to sit down and enjoy, enjoy a movie. And then I'm going to go to bed. And God says, well, I've got some people I want you to talk to. <laughs> but, you know, we so often put our plans ahead of God's plans and don't include him into our thoughts. And I just want to share with you, each one of us has people that God wants us to interact with. And it may be just a phone call. You know, I've shared this. I love it with Annie. You know, I feel sorry for all the people that telecall her. Because <laughs> she's going to tell them about Jesus. You know, she probably gets off their, on their do, do not call list pretty quickly. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, we're supposed to say don't call. So we're supposed to take you off the list. I've got a feeling they take her off her list. <laughs> uh, whether she asked for it or not. But you know, do we take advantage of the opportunities before us to share the gospel with people? How many of you ever, when you're in a restaurant, have asked the server or the bus person, is there anything you can, that we can pray for you about? I've seen people have their, just come into tears when you ask that question because they are so hurting that somebody would ask, can we pray for you, is, is, will touch them. I think anyone in this room and anybody listening could do that much. And it might open the door to give them the gospel. Sitting in your doctor's office, how much do you just sit there and never talk to anybody around you? you know, uh, opportunity. You know, carry some tracks with you. We've got the tracks in the hallway here. Take some tracks with you. Keep a track or two with you. Just pass them out. Tell people about God. Zacharias is getting the message that you guys are going to have the baby you've been praying for. <laughs> 
Now, and Zacharias' question is kind of an interesting one. He's in, the, he's in the holy place, knowing that he's got to be with an angel, and his first question is, well, how do I know you're telling me the truth? Basically, that's what he says. It's more poetic in the, in the King James. You know, how will I know that the, you know, how will I know this will become, be true? Basically, he's saying, how do I know you're telling me the truth? Now, I don't know that I would dare ask an angel, how do I know you're telling me the truth? <laughs> uh, you know, you know, this is this is kind of a big statement. You know, how do I know you're telling me the truth? You know, I'm an old man, and Elizabeth, you know, she's really you know getting up there in age too. Well, if you have that much doubt, why are you praying for a baby in the first place? <laughs> okay, uh, this is this is something that has always struck me. We're praying for a baby, but you know, God, we're way too old to have a baby. So when you, you know, we're not going to get one anyway. It makes no sense to pray for something you know that you're not going to get unless you want a miracle. And yet when the miracle comes his way, he's going, well, how can this be? <laughs> you know, how can this be? And this is kind of a strange thought for me. But you know, over the years, I've probably done it, and I've seen many people do it, pray for things they don't expect to have answers for. God, I really want to have this, but, you know, I really know that I don't deserve it, and I know you're probably not going to be kind enough to give it to me, so I'm going to just keep praying for it and, you know, hope, hope, hope maybe you might do it. This is kind of Paul, the kind of prayer that at least Zacharias has given. Elizabeth is probably very serious. She wants a baby. Because in her day, if you didn't have a child as a woman, there was something wrong with you, and usually people thought it was sin that you were such a sinner that God wouldn't allow you to have a baby. And we see it over and over in the scriptures. Elizabeth, we see it in, uh, uh, um, yeah, name jumped right out of my head. But anyway, many, many people in the Old Testament had this prayer. Hannah, <laughs> uh, Samuel's mother is another one that we see that in. That she wanted a baby so bad. And then she ended up having lots of babies once God opened the womb. We see it in uh, uh, Jacob's wife, who says, you know, you know, at one point she accuses him, you're not even trying to give me a baby. You know, uh, my sister's got a baby, the two handmaids got a baby, and I don't have one, you're not trying hard enough. You know, uh, probably because the other three wives were giving her a hard time about not having a baby. And this is the way it was in there. So Elizabeth's praying really hard. She wants this baby. Zacharias is kind of like, well, I'm too old to have a baby. She's too old to have a baby. But I'll pray with her just to, you know, to make her happy. You know, I, I'm going to pray with her because she wants it so bad. I'll pray with her, but he doesn't believe that it's going to happen. You know, how often do we make prayers without the belief that it's going to happen? You know, God, I want to this person to be healed, but I really don't think they're, they're going to be healed. But I'm going to pray, you know, let's not be double-minded in our prayers. <laughs> if you're going to pray for something, expect, it to, expect God to work in it. You know, he might say no, which is an answer. And he might say later. And you know what? He might say yes and give you your answer to your prayer. You know, I've listened to people over the years saying, God didn't answer my prayer. I go, well, did he tell you no? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. As far as I know, no was an answer. <laughs> it's not the answer we want to hear, <laughs> but it is an answer. It's an answer our kids never wanted to hear. Matter of fact, when we were young and kids, we didn't want to hear no either. <laughs> and oftentimes when we were young, we didn't want to hear no. And 
Even when we're old, we don't like to hear no. <laughs> you know, uh, we just don't like no, do we? <laughs> uh, and when people hear the word no from God, it's like they'll just say, well, he didn't answer my prayers. Well, he did. You just didn't like the answer. And we need to keep in mind, when God gives us an answer, it's his answer. And a lot of times God will say, just wait. Just wait. Paul, one man of great faith, went to God and he says, I went to God three times to ask him to deliver me from the thorn in my flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So basically he said, Paul, no, you're not going to have that prayer answered. I'm not removing it, but I'm going to give you the grace to endure. Sometimes God is just saying, I'm going to give you grace. Give you grace to endure. And Zechariah claims, you know, questions this, this uh, angel. And, and this kind of is a very interesting statement here. You almost see some anger from the angel. He goes, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak with you and show you these glad tidings. Now, this could have been said with no malice or anger, but I think he's a little put out. <laughs> You know, uh, because you look at this, he says, I'm Gabriel, and I stand at the presence of God. I'm his messenger. You know, he sends me to give a message. I'm going to give you a message from God, and you're questioning my message. And he says, you will not be able to speak until this baby's born. I that second part. Huh? <laughs> that he won't speak? He will not be able to speak. He didn't listen, and he was punished. But, you know, we look at this. He's a priest. He's a leader. He should have known better. He should have known better than the question, number one, an angel. But number two, the idea that God would answer his prayer. It would be one thing if one of, just somebody off the street of Israel had the angel show up and say, you know, hey, by the way, you're going to have your prayer answered. Uh, well, how do I know this thing? You know, they're, they're just somebody who doesn't know the scripture. But Zacharias was a priest. He was to know the scripture. He taught the Israelites in his, in his town. He would have been responsible for leading people spiritually, and he's telling the angel, you know, I really don't believe the prayers can be answered, so what are you, what are you telling me this for? And he got disciplined pretty heavily. You know, uh, not be able to speak for at least nine months, plus however long it took for him to, to conceive the baby. And I'm pretty sure at this point he wanted that baby conceived pretty quick. <laughs> uh, you know, we laugh about that, but I bet he, <laughs> I can tell you he was. You know, I'm not speaking to this baby's born. We're going to make sure this baby <laughs> get, gets around. Uh, so I don't think he waited very long <laughs> to make sure that this was going to happen because he's not able to speak for nine months. Now, the people are outside wondering where the priest is. <laughs> he's gone in. All he's supposed to do is pour some, pour some oil in the, in the, on the altar of incense, make sure the flame is, is on it, and get out. 15-minute job, maybe? <laughs> you know, if he really was slow at it? <laughs> and it takes him a while. And the people are outside wondering, what's going on? They know how long it takes the priest to go in, like, you know, put the oil on the altar of incense and come back out. It's part of their worship. They go there in the morning, they go there in the evening. And they know that it takes the guy 5, 10, 15 minutes. What, I, don't, I don't know how long it would have taken. There probably was some ceremony involved in, in the, the placing of this oil on there, some prayers that had to be said. So let's say it even took 30 minutes. And they're out there wondering, uh, what happened to Zacharias? 
what what happened? He didn't go into the holy place. He shouldn't be. He should, didn't go into the holy of holies. He shouldn't be dead. And he comes out and he's not able to speak. And Luke says the people perceived that he had seen a vision. And you know what? He didn't know sign language. He couldn't communicate with them. <laughs> you know, it says that he gestured to them. Probably kind of like give me a give me a chalkboard, give me some, give me give me a slate, give me something to write on, type deal, so I can tell you what what happened. For six for six months, uh, nine months, he's not going to be able. Plus, he's not going to be able to speak. Now that would be pretty tough. He can't even communicate with words to Elizabeth what's happening, and he'd have to write it out. He'd have to write it out to even tell her the good news. Uh, and I'm sure she took it as good news. <laughs> so, and then what else did he have? You're going to have a son. And by the way, he's going to be a prophet and a teacher that's going to lead many back to, to God. And he's going to be special. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Wouldn't you love to be able to know that you were giving birth to somebody that was going to be a major player in prophecy? And even then, he's like, well, why, you know, how do I know? Because that came before he goes, how do I know? You know Zacharias apparently had very little faith. Very little ambition even. You know, my son is going to be what? <laughs> you know, he's going to be who? And yet, it was not a big deal to him apparently. It's like, well, how do I know you're telling me the truth? You're standing with me in the holy place. You're, you just kind of appeared here on the right side of the altar, and I'm going to question who you are. I really kind of wonder who he thought he was talking to. <laughs> you know, uh, so we look at this and, and look at what he has done, and it says, after those days, Elizabeth conceived. And that always kind of st struck me as funny that she hid herself for five months. <laughs> and I don't know what the process there... On one sense, maybe she had lost children before, and she was trying to wait around to a, to a point where it was long enough that she knew she was going to have this child, or she had seen enough women lose their babies to want to say, well, I'm going to stand around. I want to make sure the angel, you know, the message that Zechariah got, he got it, he got it correct. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay here until I know that this is baby's mine and that I'm not going to lose it, because that would be even worse. For, at her age to lose a child, you know, they announced that they're going to have a child and then lose that child would have been worse to her than not having even conceived. And so it could be any number of things, but she's wanting to make sure. <laughs> she's wanting to make sure before she announces. And we all have known, you know, and, you know, for those of us that are older, you remember back, you know, your, your mothers and grandparents oftentimes lost lots of kids. You know, my my grandmother, from what I understand, only had six kids that, that lived, but lost several kids other than the ones that, that managed to be carried for full term. And this is probably, this is where I think she's at. Okay, you know, God, you've, you've let me conceive. Am I going to carry this child? Am I going to give birth to this child? It's the only reason I could see her hiding for five months. Because usually it's after that period that you know, if you go five months you're pretty much sure you're going to be able to deliver that baby. And that's why I think she was hidden for five months, because she did not want the added stigma of losing the baby that it took so long for them to conceive. But we look at this story of trust and prayer 
And my challenge for us is as we pray for things, let's believe that God's going to answer our prayers. When we pray, we've got this list that we give out that has people's needs in it. When we're praying for them, are we praying with the expectation that God will answer those prayers? Now, one thing that tells me that we're not is because I never get anybody giving me back responses that these prayers have been answered very often. <laughs> There's a handful of you that will once in a while give me an answer. But you know, we need to be praying, looking for God to do miraculous things. I absolutely know that God wants to heal people because I've seen him do it. I've seen so many healings in my lifetime that I can't even enumerate them. And I know God wants to heal. God wants to bless us if we're willing to accept that blessing and use it for him. Now, if you're wanting to use your blessings on yourself, you're probably not going to get it. God's looking for blessings that you will use to his honor, and then you get to use the remainder of whatever he blesses you with. And it's very important to look at this. We are the stewards of his money. Nothing we have belongs to us. It all belongs to God. Now, if you've got lots of stuff, well, praise God. Are you using a lot of the stuff to, play, to, to touch God as well? And we want to look at this. How are we interacting with God? Is he being blessed by the way we live? Or are we trying to use it all upon ourselves? And say, I'm just going to consume. Okay, God, you gave me lots of stuff. It's your stuff, but I'm going to use it all for myself. I'm going to be the bad steward. I'm just going to, I'm going to use it all. And God says, okay, I'm going to start taking it away. You know, and there's joy in giving. You know, I love to give to God. I really do love to give to God. It's a blessing. You know, and the side benefit is, he gives back. I'm, I'm not giving so he'll give back, but that is a side benefit. You give and he gives back to you. If you're giving to get back, you're giving for the wrong reasons and probably aren't going to get back. And this is the information you have on all these televangelists and, and radio evangelists that say, give us your seed money and God will give you back a hundredfold. Well, if you're giving for the purpose of getting back a hundredfold, you're not going to get back. If you're giving for the honor of giving to God, you, give, you, you get back. If you're trying to be obedient to God for the blessings of being obedient, you know, God, give me, I've, I've turned over all these things for you. Give me, give me the reward for being obedient. He's going to say, you already have it. You, you, you were just obedient. When you're giving it out of a hard attitude, God, I love you so much, I want to be obedient. Then he blesses you in return. It's kind of an interesting thing. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you trying to use God as a genie in the lamp? You know, God, I, I did all the right things. I'm looking for my reward. You know, abracadabra, genie pop out of the lamp. I've been good. That's not God. But when you're obedient to him because you love him, the blessings are so great. You look at Solomon in a dream, you know, God asks him, ask anything you want. And it tells us that Solomon's answer was, make me wise. And God says, well, you could have asked for wealth, you could have asked for fame, you could have asked for victory over your enemies, but because you asked for the best, I'm going to give you all of it. Seek the best things in your life, and that's just to be obedient to God for the sake of being obedient. And then watch God richly reward you. But don't try to use it as manipulation. I've heard people go, well, I did this, and you know, try to manipulate and do this, and they're going, oh, okay, well, it doesn't work to manipulate. 
It's a right heart attitude that says, I just want to serve God. God, I want to give to you. The side blessing is that he blesses us. <laughs> and those blessings can be anywhere from financial blessings to just peace of mind. Have you ever thought about the great blessing of having a sound mind at peace with God is? Especially for you guys that worry a lot. You know, if you're a worrier, start turning it all over to God. He says, cast your cares upon me, on him, for he cares for you. The key to that is leave them there. <laughs> a lot of people cast their cares on God and then walk away, with, you know, take them back from him and say, God, well, I'll take this one, I'll take this one, I'll take this one. Uh, well, I'll take them all, God. <laughs> oh, there's a few others up here that somebody else cast, I'll take them too. <laughs> you know, it's amazing sometimes how much people will spend their energy worrying about things they can't change and being concerned about things that they have no control over. Give them to God. Now, there's plenty of problems in, in the moment that you're living in without having to worry about something in the future or worry about something that was done in the past. You can't change either one of the past or the future. Deal with what's going on today and let God take care of the rest of it. And you know what? He's strong enough to take care of the rest of it if you'll just let him deal with it. And I've heard people say, well, I just can't forget such and such. Get over with it. Get over it. You can't change it. It's gone. It's over. It's under the blood. If you've confessed it, move on. And people will it's easier said than done. I understand that. But just do it. <laughs> just do it. Move on. Let God deal with the past. Because you cannot change the past. And we really, and I've said this many times, we have very little control over the future. Every one of us, when service is over, is planning to go out that door, get in your car, and go home. And for the most part, we probably will. But there is absolutely no guarantee that you're even going to make it out the door, much less get to your house once you get out the door. Now, odds are you will, but there's no guarantee on that, and we have no control. It doesn't mean don't make any plans, but don't be worried about your plans for the future. Because there's plenty to do in the split second that we're living in at this moment. Plenty to do. And we want to live. Because if we're living in the future or the past, we're not looking for what God's asking us to do at this moment. If I'm thinking, if I'm sitting in the doctor's office and with a number of people and I'm thinking about what I'm making for dinner that night and what I'm going to do the next day, and this person comes up and, and starts trying to talk to me, I may miss a wonderful up divine appointment to talk to somebody about God because I'm so worried about what I'm going to do. Or I'm so wrapped up in the past that I can't even honestly give God to them. Live in the moment. When Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? He says, I am that I am. I am the God of right this moment. He wants us to be in the moment and deal with what's going on right then. And again, that doesn't mean we don't make plans. But don't be worried about your plans. If God changes them, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Jairus finds Jesus and says, my daughter's dying, come and heal her. And on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, he stops and, and heals the woman with the issue of blood and talks with her for a few minutes. Now, Jesus could have said, well, no, I can't talk to you. I can't deal with you. I'm, I'm headed over here to, talk to you know, take care of this girl. Can you imagine Jairus? Uh, Jesus, my daughter's dying. What are you wasting time with this? 
with this old lady here, you know, that's got, you know, she's not going to die from this issue of blood. She's had it for 20 years. You know, he was probably getting upset. And Jesus says, I'm going to deal with this. And then, of course, on the way there, so the servant comes back and says, uh, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the master. And Jesus goes, no, she's just asleep. We'll go take care of her. He had no problem with it. He stopped to deal with the person that God put in, that his father put in his place. How many times do we walk past divine opportunities and just not even open our eyes to opportunities to share with people? I'm guilty. I'm guilty like everybody else is doing it. But we need to start looking at what is our opportunity to share with people. All right, let's close in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the lesson from Zacharias. Lord, we ask you to help keep our eyes open to what you would have us to do. Keep us from having a questioning spirit. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, that we pray that they will recognize that they are a sinner and that they deserve punishment and that you came to pay that price and they will turn their life over to you. They will admit they're a sinner and admit that they need you to enter heaven and that they will follow you as Lord. And we just thank you. And Lord, for each person that's listening to this that is a follower, that you will help us to think about you in all that we do and be willing to live in the moment that we're in. Help us to put the past under your blood and to, to give the cares of the future to you so that you can control and work our schedules. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.